In this bonus episode of Fictional Hangover, we talk about sense memory, vintage recipes, the value of literature, being caught in cycles, invasive blackberries, <laughs> making Millie Bobby Brown's life easier, and favorite fonts in our discussion of six times we almost kissed and one time we did with Tess Sharp. everybody, welcome to Fictional Hangover, a podcast about young adult and new adult books, series, authors, and voice actors that is full of spoilers. I'm Amanda. And I'm Claire, and today we're going to talk to Tessa Sharp, author of Six Times We Almost Kissed and One Time We Did. Oh, enjoy! <laughs> Claire, is it time? It is time. It is time for Would You Rather. Pew, 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 pew. Pew, 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 pew. I can do <gasps> There's another pew, pew. There's another voice. Who could that be? Who could it be? Yay. Oh, we're so excited to be joined by author and narrator of this audiobook, Tess Sharp. Yay. Thanks for joining Woo. us. Thanks for having me. <sighs> it's the best. This is very exciting. We love it when authors join in, and we love it when authors are narrators, too. Yay! Yes. It's such yes. a fun thing to do. I love it so much. All right, Claire, what is our first question? Our first question, right, it's a big one. It's a big one. Would you rather eat green jello or red jello? And please note, it hurts my British heart to say jello. It's jelly. No. Green jello oh, or red jello. is that what jelly. you guys call it over there? Yes. I did not realize that. It hurts my that heart every time. Sense. Jello. What is jello? Jello. Jelly. It's jelly. Green <laughs> jello, jelly, or red jello, jelly. <laughs> um, and resoundedly, across Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, everybody is having red jelly. Jello. I have to admit that I go with the crowd. I I am a red Jello person too. The lime kind of tastes chemically to me, like it's a little too fake. It all tastes chemically. That's There's true. Nothing, you, you know the packet says natural flavors. Nah, that's the hooves. We suspect that's not true. Yeah, <laughs> categorically think... not true. Round trees is is lying to me. <sighs> Oh, so we have some pretty good comments, right? Yeah, so this might persuade you on the reason why you have the, 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 that, that particular uh, flavour. Colin on Facebook said, red to eat, green to wrestle in. I don't make the rules, I just enforce them. <laughs> That's amazing. Bree on Facebook says, red is the colour of every best flavour. Cherry, strawberry, watermelon, always red. That's a good point. I think that is an excellent point now that I th that's been said. Annie on Facebook said, I say green for St. Patrick's Day, although red does have the hashtag vampire book club vibes. <laughs> Himself says green because it's normally citrus flavour, while red is random ass whatever sugary sweet nastiness Jello decides on. That's true. I was thinking when I was writing this book, I'm like, is it cherry or is it strawberry? Do I need to like make some Jello to see? And then I forgot about it and didn't do my research. <laughs> oh lydia on facebook says no jello ever ew uh, which that 
Option C, there is no option C. It can't C. be a texture <laughs> thing. I can understand if you don't like the texture of it, if it was like really gross. Yeah. Well, Vincent agrees neither of them. He says they're both evil. <laughs> However, Emily says I would eat both. Uh, yeah. Is that option D? That's option D, yes. Yeah. I'm confused now. Uh, Constance on Facebook says red all the way, the best flavors, hands down. Oh, and Lesser on Facebook said, my mother before she passed told us when we see green jello, we will know she is okay. My best friend brought green jello to the luncheon after the funeral. She didn't know what my mom had said. And that is absolutely beautiful. Oh my God, that's so touching. My goodness. I think that food can really bring memories of loved ones and moments that have passed us really strongly. Oh, yes. I remember very clearly, I uh, my grandmother made this special salad dressing and she passed um, passed away when I was 15. And I like tried to duplicate the salad dressing over and over and over again. And I couldn't figure it out until I realized like five years later that the red wine vinegar that she used, the specific brand had a garlic kind and a regular kind. And so I finally made the dressing with the garlic red wine vinegar. And I swear, I sat down on my kitchen floor and I cried because it actually tasted the way it was. Oh, that's wonderful. It was was such a moment. So that is such a touching story to me. Oh my goodness. I love that. A lot of people say like sense memories and smells, isn't it? But it is all very much in food. Everything's in food. Definitely. I'm such a foodie, so yeah, definitely. (laughs) Okay, so look, while we're while we're talking about Jello, okay, or jelly, Claire. Thank you. um, Thank you. In our main episode earlier, um, Claire had a bit of something to say about the lemon cake with the Jello added to it. I didn't and use the word abomination, but I did think it. You thought you will think that until you try it. I know it I can't. Crazy. I have the recipe. I will send it to you. It's my uncle Richard's recipe. It's been in my family for so many years. It's just it's something about the Jello water. It's not actual like you put like you just basically you substitute the cake mix water with jello water basically and it makes it taste so much more lemony if you send me that recipe test i I will will make it and that is the only exception i said in the main episode to amanda i would never make it but if you send it to me i will make it and i will say the glaze on the cake makes it it's just lemon juice and powdered sugar but it like hardens beautifully around yeah that's what i do oh it's so good Oh, yeah. I will delicious. send you the recipe, and I will send you a snapshot of of the recipe card that has her spider, my grandmother's <sighs> spidery handwriting oh. in it. Oh yeah, we gosh. need that. We yeah. need that for okay. sure. We need. I that. will make it. I will bake it. It will. Be... Yes, and you will have to tell me if you like it, and it's totally okay to be honest. <laughs> you see, the thing is, though, I love lemon cake. Like, absolutely adore lemon cake. So there's a very good chance I'm going to like it anyway. I just, I can't get my head around the use of. If it feels so seventies, you know. I, you see I, I'm assuming really... that that's where it came from because <laughs> yeah. she was. She was like she was. She was a 1950s housewife, and my uncle oh, Richard perfect. back then. And like she actually ended up divorcing my abusive grandfather and then living with my mom in college and funding her punk rock band. My grandmother yes. was a very cool lady, yeah. Um, but yeah. It's, Totally, like a lot of her recipes are of that time, and I love collecting vintage cookbooks because they're always so weird, you guys. Yes. 
so weird. There's this one called Being Bold with Bananas that just (laughs) has some like truly phallic recipes that is just like, no, you guys. (laughs) I have a Dracula cookbook, which I recently acquired from um, a secondhand shop. And it's like, it's literally falling apart. But And it's just lots of beetroot to make everything red. I had to buy it because Amanda and I are just obsessed with vampires. We have the vampire book club and everything. And it's just this preciousness of ridiculous recipes inspired yes, by Dracula. Vintage recipes fascinate me as a food person who worked in the food industry for seven years before she went into writing. Like, it's just, it's crazy to see, like, especially back then, because they were so obsessed with, like, the innovativeness of canned foods. Like, the Campbell's food food book, where you're like, let's make, put put SpaghettiOs in a gelatin mold and then eat it cold. What are you guys thinking? No, have you seen it. stop it you, I, I'm sure I've talked to you about this already Amanda but it's the tomato soup cake yes yes, yes. yeah what weird I don't and know I like, have to wonder like did they actually make this stuff or was it just like you know this like fad cookbook but I think <laughs> they did make some of this stuff having gone through my grandmother's recipe box yeah. from that time and I'm like wow Oh, yeah the the most the the one thing i always remember and i've definitely told this to amanda before because i remember the expression you gave me and you're like class shut up it's too british and my aunt still to this day does it and any kind of family gathering she makes the buffet and she cooks sausages regular sausages slits them down top to toe and then pipes in cheesy mashed potato <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's it's just, just no it's like her signature dish it's just weird and i mean i would it, eat it it sounds it's delicious like it it's so, yeah i love that it's so yeah. freaking 70s you just kind of look at it and go, it is what it is so 70s they love is, to like put things in things they did love to put things in things so. but i swear to god it's the first thing that goes at a family buffet <laughs> I love it. I'm sure they're delicious. (laughs) That's fabulous. Um, Have we answered this question? I I did. Well, yes, I would definitely. I am uh, with the consensus. I think that I like red better, though. Now I'm like curious if red is cherry or strawberry. And now I think I might have to get some jello and find out. I think I have have both. I have strawberry and I've got raspberry down in like my kitchen and they both turn a bit of a red. If you want, you can put vodka in jelly and make it go hard. You just can't use right. a lot. I've done some like the Sunset Palette before using orange and reds and stuff. Oh, that sounds fun. It takes a long time. Days. It li- literal days. It does. I know jelly. it takes forever for the gelatin to set. And it's, it, I mean, is it worth it in the end? We uh, spray cream and sprinkles on top. Yeah, that's, um, that jello was a big thing for me when I was a kid. You know, first diagnosed mm-hmm. diabetic, and I had to have all of the sugar-free stuff all the time. So that was a a good dessert because it was still kind of sweet, and we would we would put whipped cream on top because it doesn't have much carbs in it either. So, yeah, I, any jello, I don't care. I'll eat all of it. It doesn't matter what color it is. No, I'll I'm, eat any I'm, of it. I'm I'm not racist to jelly, and putting fruit in it. Do you ever do you ever make jello? 
and put like tin fruit in it. That's how my grams used to make it. She always yeah. put pineapple at the bottom. Yeah. And I don't, the adding that texture would probably kill the texture people too as well. But it was super fun. I always loved when she added fruit to it. Yes. I've made jelly with yogurt as well, which oh. is a weird, it, it turns it into a, it's not, it's it's kind of moussey, but you know where a mousse is aerated? This is not. It's probably more bum- I'm going to have to try that. That's, that's really intriguing to me. <laughs> yeah, you don't put the full amount of... You still need water, but you can substitute some of the water with yogurt, and that's quite interesting. So if you wanted to make like a, sh- a very sugar-free tri- kind of trifle, you, you use your sugar-free jelly, and then you use more jello on the top, but with yogurt. And you were offended by putting it in a cake. Yes. <laughs> I should have I specified have... though. It's just the the lemon flavored water. You basically just put the the, yeah, the the jello into like the water that you need for the cake, and then it just magically flavors the cake mix because it is a box cake mix. And that, like, I can like feel like everyone who trained me to be a baker, because I used to be a professional baker, like shrieking in my head right now. No, you're fine, you're I fine. Love, like, you're I fine. love that cake so much. It's a box cake, you add extra eggs to it. Like, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, yes, this is my childhood. Yeah. Do you know what, there's a there's a cook in the, in the UK called Nigella Lawson. I don't think she's really made it in the, in the US. Oh no, I but love she the said, Jella, yeah. Yeah, she says if it's there, you use it. If you can get it from a box, it's fine, do it. I mean, obviously she does advocate making a cake, but if it's a box cake, she'll still turn around and go, that's fine. And then there'll be I know, I made salacious videos about midnight eating years it. Years and years. So like the idea of a box cake like would horrify everyone that I worked with back in the day. I made no. everything from scratch. It was crazy. Mm. But it was super fun time. Oh, yes. I'm going to make that cake. When you send me that recipe, I will I make will, that yes. cake. I will, yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I mean, at least All I'll right. have cake at the end of the day. Exactly. <laughs> okay, next question. Yes, please. Would you rather competitively swim or kayak whitewater rapids? <laughs> Quite a question. Oh. No. Different levels of danger there. <laughs> What are you going to do? I know what I'm going to say. I'm going to say competitively swim because the idea of... I'm not a strong swimmer. <laughs> so competitively swimming would be fun. Like actually being, you know, sleek and lean and healthy and knowing how to do a breaststroke. Breaststrokes elude me. Um, <laughs> whitewater rapids just freak me out. I, that kind of like being underwater and not... It's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, don't I will Rocks. admit that I am a competitive. I was I was a competitive swimmer. One of the reasons I put it in this book. So I would choose that as well. I have kayaked a few times, but I admit I admit that like it can be scary because you're kind of trapped in the boat in a way that you're not with rafting. I would totally white rather white water raft when you're like in a group of people in a big raft, but the kayaks it's just you and it requires so much skill and I don't have the ab strength to flip myself back if I flipped under. <laughs> no, that is just terrifying. <sighs> I like being, I like kayaking though. I think I'm going to pick kayaking. I feel like. The daredevil of our group. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's me. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm definitely going to kayak. If you kayak on the, your lake's placid. Yes, I do live on a placid lake. It's fine. Um, and, and I will kayak all around it, but 
I don't know. I like the idea of being in the river too. I mean, we used to float the river uh, when we yeah. lived um, in in Washington. We used to float the river all the time. So, yeah, I think I think that's what I'm going to do. It's going to be fine. I find that interesting that you did that in Washington. I didn't realize that floating was something that um, was like out. I've, I've seen a lot of it talk about it in like Texas and stuff. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, uh, we lived um, in a like a suburb of Seattle. And there was a river just right, like, in our backyard. So it was very calm, though, as yeah. well. So we, we have... No, I've, I've had such interesting reactions to the water sports in this book because I didn't really, like, like clock that rafting and whitewater sports were, like, unusual because uh, I, I grew up on a river my entire life. Um, and like, and then I get all these like interview questions, like, why did you choose this? It's, you know, it's such an interesting sport. It's so unusual. And I was like, is it really? And then I thought about it and I was like, oh yeah, not everybody lives near a river. <laughs> it's not that normalized, but like here, that's why I was interested to hear about the floating because for some reason we don't have a floating culture here. I think it's because our river is too fast, mm. but we do have a big white river and boating culture where we're from. Yeah. Oh, the river in my city is just too polluted. Oh. <laughs> it's huge. It's a massive river, and I don't think there probably is. Um, if you go further upstream, there will be where into the like the Lake District area where it starts, but it's in my city. No. No, that's no fun. No. <laughs> no. Mm. Mm. Next question. Would you rather your collective noun be an unkindness or a murder? <laughs> oh, wow. And I'm going to tell you, Amanda wants both. <laughs> I do. I do want both. I am an unkind murderer. 100%. <laughs> um, I would definitely, I'm a murder mystery writer, you know, at my core. So I would have to choose a murder. Though I admit that I love the unkindness of Raven because I loved One Tree Hill growing up. And that's what we've got. <laughs> like calls his book at the end, which is like such a literary fiction fuckboy title. Um, <laughs> and that's what Lucas Scott is. So that makes sense. Um, I actually just did a whole re re rewatch of One Tree Hill and I was like, wow, this is a crazy show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. I'm going with murder. Clear? I'm going with murder yeah. because being un an unkindness, I don't, you know, one of the tenets of fictional hangovers don't be a garbage person. Right. And if I'm yes. in kindness, then I feel like I'm a garbage person. I don't want to be. I'd rather be a murderer. Mm. Yeah. Which doesn't make you a garbage person at all. No, it's somehow. justifiable murder. Justifiable I, murder. You're, an, you're I a... would homicide Lottie, <laughs> for yeah, example. I mean, right. right. <laughs> like, we no, do... normally I do kill the terrible parents in my books. Uh... <laughs> you missed one. I yeah, did. it sounds like I you know, killed much more nuanced than the others. <laughs> it sounds like you killed the good one. Oh God, I did kill the good one in this one. Like the, I, my 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 literary agent jokes that whenever there's a good father in my books, he knows that he's always going to die. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you have a tell. <laughs> I do have a tell. I have some habits. <laughs> <laughs> And he was oh. a good communicator and he cared and remembered oh, every yes. single I birthday. Know. Dead. He was a good, he was such a good dad. Like, oh. poor George. I had to kill him. <laughs> and you put him in the ground. 
Oh, I know. What's just, wrong with you? Injustice after injustice. Justice for talk George. About actual, talk about bad habits, actually. That is actually another recurring thing in my books. It actually is in my debut as well. Um, the murder victim gets buried and the heroine is the is her secret girlfriend. Um, and she has a big objection to her being buried because she like Dutch because the the love interest was scared of the dark. So that's something that actually just occurred to me that I have a weird habit about that. <laughs> I think it's all because I don't want to be buried myself. <laughs> so what are you doing? Um, you don't want to be buried. Uh, I like the idea of like being turned into a tree, which I guess is kind of like being buried, but I like I do that too. Yeah, I think that that would be really like beneficial, kind of a way to give back to the earth after taking so mm. much from mm-hmm. it as a human being. You know? Yeah, I kind of like the idea of the uh, the body farms. I read a book about it; it's very interesting. I have a friend who worked at one. Um, she is my go-to person for all body de- decomposition questions. I love that. Nice. I was I was watching a. Do you have horrible histories in 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 America? There was a series of books written about called horrible histories, and it covers the entirety of history, and it's all these weird things, especially poo. Oh my gosh, I would love that. I'm going to look oh, that up when I'm done with yeah, this podcast. Yeah, Terry Terry Deary horrible histories. They are technically oh. children's books, but when I was a kid, I loved them, and now my son's I into them. them. There's a BBC <laughs> TV program on it as well so if you get if you get bbc in the us you the tv and it's great and there was a, a person i wish i could remember the name it'll be in my search history but he donated he was obsessed with death and he wanted to demystify and he's he's now in university of london his skeleton is in a cupboard in university john botham i want to say it is his skeleton's inside the university of london in a in a booth and it's dressed up in his clothes with a wax head his wax head it's cool. I want to see it's John Bolton, but it might cool. be wrong. Oh, I'm going to have to check my search history. But yeah, I was like, yes. But it's that also a little odd fellows, if you've ever, you know, come across them. It's a little odd fellows. <laughs> All right. Are we on question four? I feel like yes. I feel like we've been talking for so long that we should be like done with Would You Rather already. This is amazing. Uh, this is what happens. We when keep would you getting rather. sidetracked. I know. This is what, it's, it's perfect. Fine. Is, it's fine. This is every episode of Fictional Hangover. It's fine. <laughs> would you rather be a professional artist or own a rafting company? Hmm. Professional artist. I would say professional artist as well. Like the rafting company just seems like so much liability. <laughs> <laughs> like and so much responsibility like Ooh. you're literally keeping people alive like I think about the rafting trips that I went on when I was a kid and I'm just like this must have been stressful for my mother me a child who like ran towards the water whenever I saw <laughs> it like almost drowned like three times before she taught me how to swim like and like all of that like and I remember on one of our rafting trips the raft got punctured and we ended up having to like bail out oh. and we ended up having like to like walk to this the, the, the drop off point or something so funny <laughs> it's terrifying thank goodness for life jacket <laughs> I guess I'm gonna join you guys I'll be a professional artist too no rafting for us yeah. I mean I'll I'll raft versus competitively swim but I mean I'll I will m- make art instead of owning the company I wish I was more artistic. I am the only one in my family that can't even like draw a straight line. I'm just like, 
terrible stick figures. <laughs> well, but you create, you know, beautiful like works of fiction. So no, I am. I'm weirdly the creative one in, in a family of activists. So I'm like the weird one who writes her little books, and they're off doing things that are actually important. <laughs> No, 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 no. We will not have you say that. Let's get rid of this last question and then let's dive back into that one. Yeah, we need Would to. Would you rather to. have a six foot wood carved bear statue or a non destroyed piece of stained glass art? You can just go for one word answers on this one. It's <laughs> oh, the bear statue, hands down. I love the bear statue. I want the bear statue on my front garden. I want it yeah. to, just to stare at everybody as they come through the door. Yeah, we love Do you we guys love have chainsaw art in England? Yes. UK, do you guys have that, or is it a yeah, weird yeah. American thing? No, no, yeah, you it's do. All okay, over this. yeah, yeah, yeah. I have many pictures of, of, of on my phone. <laughs> I was wondering. No. I was worried that that was a thing that was going to not translate because I discovered with my first book, you guys don't have bounty hunters in the same that we, way that we do, and I, that was a weird fact <laughs> fact about the UK that I learned in my first book. <laughs> no, you we need don't bounty, bounty hunters. hunters. No, we don't. You need them. Yeah, you no. need you need bounty hunters. They don't you know, have because... the carceral system that we have, though. That's the thing. Is like the American prison system is so messed up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it should be abolished. Uh, should be. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. You, you've got a fairly few broken systems in in America. You yeah. know, healthcare. <sighs> we could do an entire podcast about that. <laughs> we could. We definitely. That, could. It's called fictional hangover, and it's when we get our soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of soapbox i think we need to end would you rather and get on to this uh, yes. go back to this conversation yes. get back so, on track yeah. yes well yeah. no okay. yes you said there was no value in what you do amanda I'm oh giving no you the i floor. don't believe that i do not I, I i think that there are some people who view their writing as activism i personally don't partly because i come from activists and i don't like to compare the boots on the ground work that my family does that and the danger that my family can be in because they work in the rep reproductive justice movement and that in America is very dangerous. Yeah, yeah um, it is. And it's so, well, you know, like well I'm not dealing family. with bomb threats, <laughs> you know, like, and I, but I will say as a queer author now in these um, times of our unprecedented book bannings, it is definitely getting Oh, not as dangerous as like is for my mom or my sister, but definitely getting dangerous for me too as a public figure. And that's not fun either. No. Um, but I am really privileged as a cisgender woman, as a very femme woman, you know, and all of those things. So I try, and as a white woman, let's be real here. So I try to be really cognizant of that. But no, like I really believe in the transformative power of literature. I literally would not be alive right now if it wasn't for Laurie House Anderson. I read Speak when I was 15 and it saved my life. I yeah. was really, really suicidal at that time. Um, and it really gave me this light at the end of the tunnel that I really, really needed. Um, and it was, you know, the transformative piece of literature of my life. And so I promised myself that if I got through huh, all of the shit, <laughs> that I would dedicate the rest of my life to creating content and creating literature and creating media that did what Lori's book did for me yeah. and so I am very very passionate about that but I do I, I am just sitting in my bed writing I'm not boots on the ground grassroots campaigning the way that my family does they're very very hardcore <laughs> and so I absolutely compare that and it's very very different kinds of it is activism but it is a very different kind of activism yeah I just like 
we're I'm sh- I'm in Arkansas right now and I am struggling because we have it's this hard. ridiculous bill that is unfortunately being passed through all levels of government and I'm pretty sure it's going to become a law any day now and they are trying to ban obscene materials in libraries and they're like the the law is written that they want to be able to incarcerate librarians for it's sharing fascism. it's christo fascism it's awful like, it's disgusting it's, and i it's hate really it really horrifying it's really horrifying too and it's unprecedented and it's really i will say it's very very disappointing but not surprising not surprising the publishers mm-hmm. are not doing what they need to be doing these are billion dollar capitalist organizations that we're talking about they have lobbyists yeah. they have people yeah. but HarperCollins is giving $7 million to Ron DeSantis, the person who is literally trying to ban all of the other books. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. HarperCollins, we already are not very happy with you because of your strike and how you've been treating your workers. Maybe do a little better. Maybe try just a little bit. So I just want to say uh, that- Why is a treat. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if for some reason, which is going to happen. This becomes a law. And your book then is therefore obscene because you have lesbians in. How do you? <gasps> it will happen. Gosh. There's one kiss, one kiss in the entire book. And yeah, it's going to be obscene. You pre-warm yeah. on yeah. the title. Yeah. Yeah, yes. you are. So, you know, I'll, I'll go to jail to put this book in the hands of a it's, kid who needs it's, it. Because... It's absolute fascism. It's absolute Christo-fascism because it's asking us to, and you know, religion is amazing and wonderful. All religions are amazing and wonderful. But when you start saying we all have to follow one, that becomes no, a problem. It's not okay. That's, <laughs> That's not, not okay. very nice, you guys. No, it's not. Stop it's it. It's so ironic when, you know, America was built because of the religious oppression that they were experiencing. Uh, I will say, in though, part, if you look at it, we were founded on religious fundamentalism. Mm. Like that's really they were they were seeking freedom for their fundamentalism. So really, what our history of our country really is is fundamentalism and genocide because we went and killed all of the Native Americans because we're horrible human beings. You don't have to mention uh, that like, because that that paints white people. In, in a terrible light and you know British colonialism is not taught in schools we really not, like not really no yeah. I like to concentrate on world war because that is a victory that is your grand war. moment yeah yes and I mean you guys moment. did <laughs> oh. you guys did great fighting the Nazis thank you we got <laughs> we, we cracked that enigma code <laughs> despite what Hollywood tried to say exactly <laughs> Which is probably why I like the horrible histories because it does put the poo in the history. I am so but... excited about that. I'm going to do a deep I really hope you enjoy I... them. They are very fun. I am <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's painted. You know, I remember doing Egypt, I remember doing Greece and Roman, and I remember doing World War history at school, and it was nothing to do with colonialism. You've got to learn that as, a, as an adult, that you, yeah. and then you kind of go, oh shit white people are horrible (laughs) yeah we are we are a genocidal horrible race of people and it's like and we have so much privilege and it's so baked in everything it's baked into publishing it's baked into the world it's baked into all of these things 
No, I think that I was really, really fortunate to, this is one of the reasons that I was really grateful to be homeschooled um, because I got a real history from my grassroots activist mother. <laughs> like I remember when I learned about the Underground Railroad, she literally created like an entire, like we spent an entire semester just on the Underground Railroad. And wow. and like, I was became like, I, I was just like, I was obsessed with Harriet Tubman for a really long time. <laughs> As a child, she was like my hero. Um, and I remember like, um, things like that were really important to me. And I think that being able to, and this is one of the reasons why the book bans and why the the um, criticism of CRT and this idea of altering history to create a white supremacist state, which is what Ron DeSantis is trying to do in Florida. Like my heart breaks for the children of Florida. Like they're going to be completely unprepared for school, but they want to change, prepared for college, but they want to change college as well. Yeah. And I am genuinely afraid they're going to succeed because there are not enough progressive and liberal people who are willing to fight the way the Christo fascists are. Even in our own publishing community, we have people, big authors being like, oh, it's fine. The kids can get the books at the library. They can get, they buy, can buy the books if they're banned at school. And it's like, do you remember being a child? <laughs> you, didn't have, you don't have a credit card. You don't have access to lots of money. You have to be driven to the library, which might be as much as 30 minutes away. Like, and so that for me has been really, really disappointing that we have not been able to rally together the way that we need to. Um, and I will say that Kelly Jensen, um, Book Riot and Book Riot um, have been doing a great job on um, keeping track of book censorship. I highly recommend you follow mm -hmm. her on Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, she does a roundup like every few weeks about what's happening. It's really depressing, but it's really important for all of us to not only keep track of everything, but to get involved yeah. inside your own community, to be, come to these board meetings, to find out who is being elected to your school board because it's really, really important. Yeah. And the pandemic absolutely drove people to get more involved in their community politics. And a lot of the people who got involved in their community politics are really, really conservative people who want to enact fascism on all of us. Yes, I, I could go about. I literally could go around uh, um, on about this all day. <laughs> let's talk about something different then. Yeah, let's talk about something a little happier. Although the first thing that we have uh, to talk about is the maternal relationships in this book because they're bonkers. Not a happy question. Hey, let's talk. Hey, let's talk about hey. the good half. Talk let's about the good half. Let's talk about Marion and let's talk about no. Let's Anna. talk. Let's talk about them. <laughs> no, like. I will say Lottie was my biggest challenge. Like I said, I normally write like really overtly evil characters. Duke McKenna in Barbed Wire Heart is a meth kingpin and he is the father of our heroine. In The Girls I've Been, our Nora's mother, Abby, is pure evil. She literally raises her children to be bait within her con artistry. But Lottie... Lottie was my biggest challenge because she actually has a reason for being so terrible, but it's not a good enough reason. <laughs> and it's so hard. It was really hard to write her. It was really hard to, it was really, really hard to narrate the confrontation scene. I had to like take a break afterwards and cry for like a good five minutes. Yeah. All of the tears that you hear in the narration are real. 
I never have cried so much in, in a book. I normally don't cry over my own writing. I'm like a dark, my dark shriveled soul. Just, just like whatever. But Are you dead inside like me? I love it. I love it. Hey, you've had an emotion today, Amanda. You can't I see anything. I did. I did have an emotion because of this book. God damn oh, it. But no, it was a definite challenge because she abandons her daughter mm-hmm. at a time where her daughter desperately needs her. And she, but she abandons her daughter because she's not going to be alive if she doesn't. And that is a realization that Tate has because Tate is existing in the same space as Lottie, but it's a realization that Penny has to come to. And I don't even know if by the end of the book, Penny has come to that realization. There is a bit of a knowing about the suicidal ideation that's implied in one of the scenes, but it's almost mocking the way because she's drunk at the time. Um, And so... I spent a lot of time on Lottie. I had a lot of trouble with Penny at the beginning. I do a lot of pre-writing. Um, I do like a lot of firsts in my characters' lives. I write from a bunch of different point of views, even if it's only a sole point of view in the book. Um, and I had an immediate grasp on Tate. I really understood her. I feel very similar to her in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But Penny really confused me. The first scene that I ever wrote for her was um, the accident. That was one of the first, one of the one of the first initial scenes that I wrote for the entire book. We love um, that scene, by the way. So good, it was oh, so good. And that's the scene that I basically wrote the entire book so that I could write that scene. There's always like one scene in the book that you like write to or for or all of those things. And for me, that was that scene. And so I knew from the beginning that she had PTSD, and so. I was like, okay, this is going to be, this is your thing. You have PTSD, you're being denied therapy. This is in you. And then I just kept writing her and she kept having really outsized reactions to everything. And I was like, okay, there's something much different going on here. What is wrong with you? Not really what is wrong with you. What is going on with you, basically? Because there's nothing really wrong with her. And... I realized that, oh, you don't aren't just dealing with grief. You aren't just dealing with PTSD. You have undiag- you have an undiagnosed anxiety disorder and you have obsessive compulsive disorder and you have a very anti-therapy mother who just does not view those things as helpful because she's scared of confronting her own inner feelings. So she doesn't want her, her kid to deal with it. She doesn't want to deal with it. And so through the journey of getting to know Penny, I got to know Lottie, basically. I got to see all of the damage. And from that, that is how I shaped Lottie, kind of. Yeah. Um, and she definitely was one of the challenges of my life because I have sympathy for her, but I'm also like, what the hell, lady? That's why <laughs> like, you slap a bitch. Exactly. Need to slap a bitch. What the hell? And I and I like to ask myself if she hadn't had that support system, like is she actually and in part of a way she is able to do this. She's able to check out of her daughter's life because she has the support system that she does. And I have this very dark. I had this very dark question in my head the entire time, which is, what would have happened to Penny if there was no Marion? That's a really, really dark path we yeah, go down. Don't Obviously, I want to see things if Marion wasn't there in my my little world, Anna stepped up. Anna yeah. had that conversation I think that Anna she would needed too. to have with Lottie. 
but I think that that would be a splintering of their relationship. And I think that yeah. that's how, Anna, and I think that Anna would have done it. And I think that Anna would, would have absolutely been willing to do it. And I think that that also, I've had some people be like, well, Anna should have done more. And I'm like, I agree with that in a way, but at the same time, it's, it really felt to me like Marianne and Anna at one point got together and it's like, okay, I've got the kid, you've got Lottie, we have to keep them alive. Yeah. And like by any means necessary. And that really, I think, is their priority for that first, those first six months, especially because it's a very, very dark time in both Lottie and Penny's life. And, but it doesn't, it still doesn't excuse anything that Lottie does because she can't step up when she's supposed to. And then after that, she doesn't acknowledge what she's done. She just rug sweeps it, which I think is something that is really common in families. And it's something that we don't talk about a lot. And I've gotten a lot of mail about the emotional abuse aspect of this novel and the neglect and of about, you know, the idea that setting boundaries is really important, even as a teenager. And I've been really felt really rewarded about that because that really was, you know, the point, which is that you are allowed to set boundaries, even with your parent. You're allowed to be like, you are hurting me. I need a break from you, you know? And that can be a really difficult thing to do as a teenager because you feel so powerless. And because in a lot of ways you are powerless because you're a minor and the laws are not built to support you. They're built to support your parents, parents and their control of you. And that can be great. And that can be really, really bad if you have an abusive parent. Yeah, there was a quote that actually highlighted and sent to Amanda as well about it. It was, um, I brought it up. It's only a lifelong journey if she can actually commit to it. I don't know if she can. I don't even know if I want her to. If it's better that we heal together, growing closer instead of healing and growing apart. I think sometimes growing apart can be the healthiest option. And we've talked before in um, sim like similar sort of styles where you need to cut the toxic element out of your life. Mm. We're, we, one of our favourite tropes is found family. And yes. certainly with Anna and Tate and Megan and Remy, who we adore, it's a found family, and which yes. just makes us squee. And that Lottie is not a healthy person for Penny to be around. Anna can associate with Lottie fine. But you, you said something there that I'd never considered, and I berated Anna sorry in the main episode for not having a conversation totally <laughs> with Lottie about why the hell you're treating your daughter like this considering Anna's relationship with Tate is so good and love that by the way actual communication and trust between a parent and a child um, <laughs> in a YA book oh wonderful um, what you said was that it's like Marion and Anna got together and said, I'll take one, you take the other, let's keep these people alive. I never considered in that in those terms. I always thought Anna was the best the person in the best place to have that conversation with Lottie and say, Sort your shit out, you're a parent, you're an adult, you need to take care of your daughter and you also need to take care of yourself. What can we do? But at the same time, Anna's gone through a lot. I was about to say, she give is. Anna a fucking break. Yeah, poor Anna. She is. She's going through a lot. And that was really at the forefront of my mind. And I think also Anna doesn't, I don't think that, and I think that we don't get to see Anna as much 
no. in the book because of course she's recovering from a liver transplant. <laughs> and so we 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 get to see we we see her mostly through Tate and we see her mostly through Tate's eyes. And Tate absolutely puts her mother on a pedestal. Um, but it, I mean it literally is there's a line in the book where she says um that most people would think that Tate was the burden or that Anna is the burden, but Tate views herself as the burden. Um, and no, and I thought a lot about it. I thought a lot about these, like I wrote a lot about, um, I wrote a lot about Anna and um, Lottie's teenage years, um, just in my pre-writing phase to really just do it. And I'm like, this is gonna be useful if I ever turn this into a television show. Uh <laughs> I wanna read that. Let's make that happen. Let's make that happen. I know. And so I really like dialed into their dynamic, which I don't think that we see as much in the book, but is informed by all of my pre-writing. And Lottie really is very much like Penny was before the accident. Very daredevil-y, very brash, very the the main very main character energy and i think that anna is absolutely someone who doesn't like to rock the boat and i think that tate calling her out on that in that scene um before the surgery where she basically is like there shouldn't be sides this is ridiculous is absolutely a wake-up call for anna um but we don't get to see the wake up call as much as perhaps we might have wanted to because the book ends at the end of the breaking of the cycle instead of following through to see what happens next cuz i really wanted the reader to decide what happened next does penny repair her relationship with her mother does she go off to college and end up you know going no contact with her or and how does that even how would that even work if she is still in a relationship with tate and anna and marian are part of her family etc 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 i really wanted the reader to kind of decide that but it is such a book about cycles and about breaking cycles and about new being caught in cycles you know cycles of almost kissing cycles of grief these cycles of abuse um that I really wanted to end the book on the breaking of the cycle and the the, the cusp of a new cycle and kind of like that open-ended unfolding of um of the new cycle kind of uh, the ability to have the reader kind of decide what happens next was really important to me um and so therefore I wrote the shortest ending that I've ever written I normally favor really, really long endings y'all usually people complain about it <laughs> and now they're like it's too short and I'm like oh no I need to like no. find the perfect balance no, <laughs> such a fun. good we ending that. we love that don't we you yes. said, you've said it before multiple times yes a, a book doesn't have to have a happy ending it can just end and then you yeah. can choose for yourself what happens to the characters and me i don't believe that lottie gets any better i don't believe that she gets the help that she needs and i fully like support penny going off doing what she needs to do and she's gonna thrive without her garbage mother oh yeah in five years she's gonna have a thriving rafting business yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yep. she is. With her array of Sharpies that I Yes, love her array so of Sharpies. Her cute little teardrop vintage trailers that she and Megan yes. are going to remodel. Yeah, I love her it. Her office stationery cupboard is going to be 
Oh, it's going to be gorgeous. It is. Yes. Yeah. No, yeah. I had some people ask me, it's like, why, why is, why is the, the, the pages ripped out of her bullet journal, not um, dotted. And I'm like, y'all, she doesn't have the money for actual bullet journals. She's writing in a notebook. <laughs> She's like writing in a spiral notebook. Absolutely. She just makes it beautiful. She doesn't need the fancy stuff to make it beautiful. No, no. <laughs> I wish I had the time and patience. Oh, I love my readers' attention to detail that they even thought of that, though. Like, I'm like, that is, like, such a cute thing to think about. And I'm like, yeah, but, yeah. I, I, I liked, I purposely asked for a paper that looked like it was ripped out of a spiral notebook. Because yeah. I figured that that was probably what she would have. Because she's, if she is going to spend money on anything for her bullet journal, it's going to be, like, collage materials or, like, really yeah. nice markers. Yeah. But probably not the paper um, as much. because, Especially now that she can't draw as as well as she used to and she's kind of yeah. transitioned into collages because the fine art skills have been really lost yeah oh it's so heartbreaking but it was so pretty it was so beautiful oh love it <laughs> oh um claire do you want to ask the next question i feel like you really loved this part of this book every food aspect apart every from the, food the thing that was jelly. ever written even the questionable cake even the questionable cake <laughs> <laughs> we mentioned brownies and pretzel in the summary we both went oh yeah oh yeah oh <sighs> we latched on to pretzels for a while mm. we really did and i'm still craving so yeah, i mean there's a lot of food detail a lot there are everyone always says that i make them hungry when i write my books and it makes me laugh <laughs> you did you, you made did. us hungry while we were reading the book and then we got hungry again while we were summarizing the book yeah. so that tells you a lot about how much food is is mentioned so in the book what is the one thing you are eating from the book you can only select one and what is a proper way to make a pretzel for you or do we need to go to your grandma's cookbooks so the lemon cake is definitely my favorite thing and I actually regret not putting the recipe in the book I should have put it in the back um and I didn't think of it at the time and I should have I think I'm going to put it in my newsletter um one of these times so everyone has it um but the pretzel so the pretzel is a yeast dough this is me being like really technical baker girl um and the pretzel is a yeast dough that you have to boil and then bake and so it can be really tricky I have found that if you add a little bit of honey to the dough oh. it can work really nicely mm. same thing with brownies actually if you add honey to brownies even just brownie mix it they come out much more moist oh. like i would add maybe a third cup mm. um a little bit mm. of replace maybe a um change the oil up a little bit in addition to that because it is like you're adding more liquid but if you want really really moist brownies honey and pizza dough if you put um honey into pizza dough. I used to work at this pizza place that did a great sourdough pizza and I used to make all of the dough and we used to add honey to it and it was really good. My mum's trying to conquer sourdough and she's doing a really, really good job. Ma'am, I know you're listening. Can I have some more sourdough? Thanks. Um, she will probably take on that tip and try it. She's got two sourdough starters. One's called Baby and the other one's called Baby 2. Oh, I love it. <laughs> and she, does, she goes, I'm just going to feed the baby. Okay. <laughs> 
that's wonderful but yeah the pretzel dough i thought that the pretzel the the, the running joke that the one prep cook can't get the pretzel the pretzel right was really funny i loved it so Pretzels, much they are they're hard to get they're hard to do it in the brew pub menu as they say in the leverage television show the brew pub menu is one of the hardest menus to get right because you're pairing with all of these different kinds of beer which is even harder to do than wine often because there's so much more variety and like all of this stuff we have a great brew pub um i mean near us <laughs> 50 minutes away because i live in the forest <laughs> and they have an amazing pretzel and that's totally the pretzel that i stole um for the book <laughs> so what was he doing wrong in your mind in my mind i think that he is overworking the dough <gasps> Shocking! How dare he? Yeah, and so I've watched enough beer to know that. That is something that, like, lot that that Anna, like, she's busy in the kitchen. She's maybe not paying attention to how much he's working the dough, and it's probably a a thing that she's like not listing the time of how you have to. Like, I know that her recipe is like probably like really really exacting, but it might not list the time that he has to work the dough. I think that he's overworking the dough, and that gives it a less airy consistency and much more gummy, which is never Mm. good. I've watched Bake Off. I know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love Bake Off. Oh, exactly. oh. Claire, the next question was yours too. You should ask it as well. <laughs> okay, so the stupidest thing I've ever won at a raffle was um, at Preston Park. And the raffle ticket cost me 10 pence. Tells you how long ago, inflation. And it was a dustpan and brush, which I sold to my mum for 50 pence. Um, <laughs> Stupidest thing ever. I love raffle. your entrepreneurial spirit, though. <laughs> I need to get my money back. Talk about making lemonade out of lemons, though. Yeah. I made lemon cake instead. Um, what is the best and or silliest thing you have ever won at a raffle? And please say it's Barry the best. I wish I had actually ever won a raffle. I don't think I've ever won a raffle. The only thing that I can think of that I won was a pie eating contest when I was like 10. Yes. Ooh, nice. And I got like a stuffed bunny for it. Oh, like, but I remember the pie eating contest. That I, my mother has a great picture of me like with pie all over my face, like lifted up. But they tied our hands behind our back and we had to eat the pie with just our faces. That's so American. That. We're very That's obsessed similar. with blackberries where I come from because there was this crazy pioneer man who planted back blackberries all around the West Coast. And that's why we all have invasive blackberries everywhere, apparently. Yeah. The fact that, that I learned, learned a few years ago. Yeah. There were blackberries <laughs> all over the place in Seattle. Just oh yeah, walking down the street. Out down just... the West Coast. It's so because of this one dude, apparently. He planted a bunch of blackberries. What an asshole. Why we have them on the West Coast. Um, but yeah, so blackberries are like a big thing and marionberries are a big thing also where I went to college because I went to college in Oregon um, and marionberries, even though marionberries were actually invented in Davis, I think, UC Davis, which is in California, like the, the farm, the farm, the farm college of UC Davis invented the marionberry, which is a larger, more tart type of berry. And I would say that it is superior to the blackberry. <laughs> found the name of the uh, asshat who brought blackberries the blackberry asshat luther burbank Hmm. (laughs) interesting i have not ever won anything ridiculous i know i've like never even won a game of bingo in my entire 38 and a half years of life i have never 
won a game the of bingo. The last thing so, I won disgusting. was a chocolate teddy bear, a lint chocolate teddy bear at Christmas. Ooh, that sounds yummy. At work. And it was due to my vast array of ridiculous Christmas trivia that I know. Because I used to be a trainer and I used to work in engagement many moons ago. So all you ever did was Christmas quizzes. <laughs> so I have just have this knowledge. So every December, suddenly I, I hear wham on the radio. I see a Christmas bauble. And then suddenly it's like all this Christmas knowledge comes out. And the only time it's ever been any good was this last Christmas and I want a chocolate teddy bear. And people are like, how did you know the answer to this one? I'm like, it just happens. That's just amazing. Happened. You deserved that chocolate bear. Yeah. I, I, I do you feel like I was cheating because at the time I was listening to Christmas music as well and the answer came on in my ears. I was like, oh, very cool. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's something else I wanted to raffle once that was ridiculous. But I mean, do you have tombolas in America? They, well, to what we would call tombolas. When I worked on the engagement team, we used to have charity tombolas all the time. So you just get, you know, the strips of raffle tickets and you'd stick the numbers on everything, except you'd always retain the ones with the six on the end and they're the, they're the winners. And. Mm. It's like it's a, excessively it's like a, British. It's excessively it's British. Like, it's like it's like the ridiculous form of gambling we used to do at the old office. Like everybody, would, oh, there's a tombola, ooh, and then you, you would make so much money from tombolas and bake sales for charity because oh, everybody yeah. was like, oh, it's like the most basic form of gambling we can possibly do that doesn't require a license. <laughs> Well, I, I felt that the tri I felt the tri-tip fundraiser was a very NorCal thing. Like, I didn't realize, again, like, tri-tip is like a Santa Cruz thing. It was originated there. Like, the, the, Santa, the Santa Maria tri-tip, blah, blah, blah. But it is, like, it's a cut of meat that, like, not everyone is familiar with, apparently. And I'm like, it's so common on the West Coast that it's, like, one of those things, like, river rafting that it, like, didn't really occur to me that it might be a little weird for everybody else. It's a great cut of meat if you eat meat. Um but it is definitely like a, a grill meat which i felt was suited for the fundraiser and the outside atmosphere it's definitely something that we do a lot um and i mean it is kind of ghoulish if you think about because having to raise money to pay your medical bills is a uniquely yeah. American thing yeah, yeah. And i mean to be fair the way that it's going in my country it's very very good chance that it's going to happen and i know i won't get insurance i know it much, guts but... me like the things that are happening to the nhs and it was actually something that i i was worried that it was not something that was going to translate in the uk the medical poverty aspect of the book but i was like i feel like everybody knows that we're all fucked as americans <laughs> yes so oh, yeah. i feel like that was like enough content for the uk the context for my uk kids no we get it we get it we feel you know total solidarity it's just to be fair we've mentioned before since 2016 the world is fucked yep and it's going to take a lot of radicalism <sighs> and it shouldn't be radical it should no. be common sense yes to Ugh. treat people like people don't just be a garbage person it's yeah. not fucking hard Humanity and community are two things that we are distinctly lacking especially yes. as white people yes Ugh. Ugh. got serious again it did okay well we only have one other question that's 
I don't know, semi-important. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I want to know what it's like to narrate, to narrate your own books. And do you love it? Because we enjoyed listening. Oh, you're so sweet. This one was a challenge for me because it was the first time that it was multi-point of view. Um, and that for me, I, I don't consider myself a voice actor. <laughs> Obviously, I am just, I, and I don't even consider myself a pure narrator. I'm an author narrator. I've never, I, I think it would be very difficult to narrate any other book but my own. I would be totally interested to do that someday, but I don't think anyone's going to let me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but narration, narration for me is very important. I get it written into my contracts. Um, I, um, so basically they, they can't say no, uh, smart. That's smart. and oh, luckily okay. I have kind of a young voice for 36. So I sound kind of like a teenager. I have that California drawl, you know, I really like narrating my own work because it gives you a chance as an author to, to interact with the work in a completely different way. Yeah. Um, and it makes you hate all of your bad habits. And it makes you hate how you crafted certain sentences. You're like, why did I do this? It's too long. Um, <laughs> running out of breath. I've had to say this point, this, this word, these, 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 these three words together 15 times because I can't get it together. But it allows you to, it really makes me a better writer. It really makes me aware of my quirks, my habits, and then like the things that I need to eradicate from my writing style. <laughs> And it also, it was a real gift to narrate the girls I've been because then I went and adapted the book for Netflix as a screenplay. And so by the time that I was going into the screenplay, I already knew which lines worked and which lines didn't and which lines would make Millie Bobby Brown hate me because I'm <laughs> a horrible tongue twister. And I'm like, I'm going to make Millie's life easy for her. Um, <laughs> She's so talented, she probably wouldn't stumble over the words anyway. I'm sure she um, still appreciates it, though. Exactly. I was like, make it a little, you know, there's certain things that, like, sometimes you never think about it while you're writing, and then when you're actually in the room, some things are very obviously difficult, and then some things that you will never think of, you're just like, I can't say this word. I can't say it right. <laughs> no matter how many times I do it. But no, I love narrating. I love being able to interact with the work that way. I love the gift that it gives me with writing, getting to adapt the screenplays because it really, I feel like it really, really prepares me. And for a long time, narrating the audiobook was my way to say goodbye to the characters because that was the last time that I interacted with the book. And then all of my books, all of my author copies go in my garage because I have dogs that like to eat books. Oh, no. <laughs> And I'm like, it's, it's done. It's everybody else's. And I don't have to think about it ever again for a really long time. So it was my way to say goodbye. Now I keep finding myself in very wonderful opportunities to adapt my own work for film and yeah. TV. So it's no longer the, the, the strict goodbye that it used to be narration. But it definitely is like the thing that I view is like the closing of the, the writing period and it's like my way to say goodbye and my way to interact with the work the last time. It's also the only time that you also catch all of the typos that everybody missed. And, <laughs> and by then the book is already off to the printer. So you can't change the physical no. book. You can only change the ebook and you can only change the audio as you're doing it. And you're sitting there the entire time just going, I hate this. 
how did I miss these things? And it's nobody's fault. Everybody misses things. Like no matter what, almost all books have typos in them. My first print run of the girls I've been is literally missing a word on the cover copy. And no, not one person has ever said anything to me. I literally think that everybody's brain fills in the word just like everybody's brain on the publishing teams filled in the word. Seven to 10 people looked at the cover copy. I looked at the cover copy like six different times and I did not catch the missing word. I know. Like sometimes your brain genuinely fills in those things. This is why I always advise writers to change the font of their drafts in between revisions. Oh. It will absolutely allow things to pop out at you that you have not seen the first time around because you're so used to the font. Sometimes changing the color can also be helpful. That is really good. Yeah, tip. Yes, those I don't are remember very who gave ideas. it to me. It was not my. It was absolutely not my my or my, my my origin. Someone gave it to me, and I can't remember who because I would love to credit them. And it's been a great tip. It really. I'm has. going to use that seriously. And I also hear that like if you there's 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 some sort of font that makes you type faster apparently or write faster. But Ooh. I haven't tried that one, and I can't remember what, what is it was. this magical font. Helvetica or Courier, but I don't think that those are the right ones. Someone will tell us when this podcast goes live. They will yeah, know. Someone will know. I'm Googling it. That's amazing. <laughs> Claire I feel will like know. I need to know Give her this. a handful of minutes. She'll know. Yeah. But no, narration is so fun. I advise any writer who is Comic Sans? No. Is it? It is Comic Sans. You're right. It is. It's some very, very silly letter. Yeah. That's what I've heard, that if you write in Comic Sans, Despite how much despise the typeface, it turns out that if you use Comic Sans to your draft, you will write more and you'll write faster. Yeah. I know Comic Sans is a good for um, dyslexia. Oh, that's so interesting. I didn't hear that. I've never heard that before. That's what, when when I when I when you did my first ever teaching um, qualification way back when. It's so old. It doesn't it doesn't exist anymore. But the the dyslexia thing was use Comic Sans on computers. So and blue paper and print that's fabulous that's really interesting yeah, that is interesting you know there's so like i i feel like as a writer you like get attached to fonts like i do everything in times new roman the first time around and Ooh. then you have to change it and it like looks bad to you at first it's just like your your soul like rejects it you're like this doesn't look right I'm a Calibri girl at the moment. I'm really enjoying Calibri as a font. Oh, no, I'm Calibri a cent- is fun. It's really pretty. I'm mm. a century gothic. Wow. All, yeah, all the time. fancy. I know. <laughs> Your fangs are showing again. Yes, yes, they are. <laughs> I love it. Oh, oh font. Everybody, everybody has a favorite font, don't they? They, they do. do, yeah. And there's so many of them. It's really amazing to think that the same 26 letters can just be people are art, 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 and artists. Like I said, I can't draw, so I will like watch Instagram videos of like people drawing, and I'm like, this is magic. Yes, it is. And then you yeah. think I can do that, like, and you my can't. Brain just does not work that way, and I'm just like, how? I want to know how your brain works. And I'm sure there are people who like want to know how my brain works. You know, they want to know how writers' brains works and all of that. That's why I literally record my writing day on my Instagram. Um, but <laughs> like, no, like art seems to me like just this magic thing, and I don't want to trivialize it because I know a lot of work goes into becoming that good and making it look that easy. But just, I love watching those videos that like just starts with a blank page, and then by the end, there's 
and I'm just like, oh my god, it's amazing. Have <laughs> you seen the ones where the zoom in and keep going in the digital art into the minutest of detail? That astounds me. That level, yeah, just the way that the brain breaks apart those things and understands the color and understands what. To, oh god, it's just it fascinates me. Like brains are amazing. True. Very true. Oh, okay. So we've asked all of our very important questions. And so now we like to end every author interview by asking if there's anything that you want to tell us that you're excited about. It doesn't have to be book related. It can be anything in the world that you're excited about, but share all of your great things. I'm actually, I'm excited about two things. Personally, I'm very excited because I am about to have endometriosis excision surgery. And that makes me really happy. Um, It's been quite a long journey for me. Um, And then book wise, I'm really excited about my 2024 release, which is not really, which is not announced yet. (gasps) But I will say that it is a pure thriller. Um, It is a YA thriller. And it is set in the woods. There are a lot of booby traps. Yes. And there's one-eyed dog named Turbo. Oh. Sold. Wait, <laughs> does he does he make it? Oh no, the dog does not die. Dogs never die in my books, y'all. Very good. Ever. Love it. That's my Love role. It. No, I actually I just pitched a television show and um there's a dog in it. It's based on one of my books that has the dog in it. And the first thing that I said to my producers is is like, I have one rule. The dog is not allowed to die. <laughs> And they're like, we are fine with that. <laughs> Thank goodness. Oh, I can't handle yeah. it. But no, Turbo is a very good girl. Okay. Yes. I'm sold okay. on Turbo alone. Yes. Oh, I mean, booby traps. Second. She's super fun. She's a rescue dog, very scrappy. And she knows several very interesting commands. Oh, I love it already. I love okay. Turbo already. So what I'm hearing in this is that you're going to at least come back then when that book comes out and you're going to join <laughs> us again on Fictional Hangover. Yeah, to talk of about course. It. Excellent. I would love to chat about it. I can't wait Excellent. to talk about it. Um, in we might have to do a theme terms. purely based on having a dog, a pet in the book, some kind of animals. We will. I we do will think that we that will theme. be getting announce- an announcement probably within the next two months. We're finalizing the cover right now. So yeah, so we should Fantastic. be getting an announcement sometime in the next few months excellent this is you guys will have more information yes Ooh, i love it we'll share it all over the place too fictional hangover is loves to shout about things that they love so yay we adopt every single guest we do we have such a big family now and you're a part of it so sounds good with it Oh my gosh, thank you so much for taking yes. time out of your day to join us. Oh, we thank really you for appreciate you. Me. It's oh, been so a much blast. fun. Yes. We loved it. We've been waiting for this book since Cheryl contacted us in August <laughs> of last year. Love like, Cheryl. Such a gem. Yes. We love Cheryl yes. so much. Yes. Thank you, Cheryl. Yeah, thanks, Cheryl. Thank you, Cheryl. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. Um, can you tell everyone where to find you on social media? Yeah, you can find me at Sharp Girl on Twitter and at Forest of Arden on Instagram. Don't bother to go to my website. It hasn't been updated in like eight years because I'm lazy. Uh, (laughs) And honest. (laughs) Very honest, yes. (laughs) Amazing. And you can sign up um, for my newsletter um, on my link in my bios if you want to get updates and natterings about behind the scenes publishing stuff. 
I like and to break down book proposals. I break down pitches. I break down all sorts of stuff that you might not normally see like on Twitter or oh, that's fantastic. like beyond the query letter, basically. And that you're going to really share your lemon cake recipe there as well. You said. I will. I will send yes. you guys the lemon cake recipe. Okay. Looking good. forward to making good, it. Good, good, All right. It's very good. Thank you <laughs> so much. We really appreciate you. And now we're going to say goodbye. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. So that's it for this bonus episode of Fictional Hangover. I'm Amanda. And I'm Claire. Join us next time as we discuss... Eclipse by Stephanie Meyer. Look out for our Would You Rather polls on social media. Don't forget about our book club and monthly challenges on Facebook. Be sure to visit our shop on Redbubble at fictionalhangover.redbubble.com for all your favorite fictional hangover themed merchandise and become a patron of ours on Patreon at patreon.com slash fictional hangover. Until next time, remember the only cure for a fictional hangover is another book. You can find us at fictionalhangover.com, follow us on Instagram at fictionalhangover, find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fictionalhangover, and on Twitter at fictionalhangover. If you like this episode, check out our others, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss out. And finally, special thanks to Liz Emerson for her music. You can find her on Facebook and Patreon. Thanks for listening.